This podcast is proud to be part of the Blueberry Network. That's blueberry with no E's dot com. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, and you're listening to Transpersonal Radio with Angela Lynn Gibson. Remember, your thoughts upload your reality. Think wisely and always prepare to ignite. Welcome. Welcome to Transpersonal Radio. Transpersonalradio.com. Real talk for real life. Inspiring podcasts. Exploring personal empowerment. empowerment. And transformation. Through parapsychology, spirituality, and how your thoughts Up. upload your reality. And now your host, Angela. Angela L. Gibson. Hey, I want to give a shout out to Steve Schoen an accomplished professional voice actor and audio producer who created my new intro and outro for Transpersonal Radio. Steve is based out of the Sacramento, California area. If you'd like to hire Steve for voiceover work, you can find him at soundsofmyvoice.com. That's sounds with an S, soundsofmyvoice.com. Steve is also an event entertainer and wedding DJ. If you want to liven up your event with a truly talented and fun personality, Check out SacramentoWeddingDJ.com. You can also find Steve on Facebook. Just go to Facebook.com slash Steve.Shone. That's S-C-H-O-N. Thanks, Steve. What is forgiveness? Wikipedia gives a definition of forgiveness uh, as typically being defined as the process of concluding resentment, indignation, or anger as the result of a perceived offense, difference, or mistake, and ceasing to demand punishment or restitution. Mahatma Gandhi said, hate the sin, love the sinner, and the weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is an attribute of the strong. Today, Margaret Branch, ordained minister and metaphysical counselor, joins me to discuss forgiveness, what it means, why it's so difficult for some of us to do, and how we can learn this vital skill to heal ourselves and our planet. Forgiveness. What does this really mean? When I hear the word forgiveness, I think of someone apologizing to me, or I think of apologizing to someone else for some real or perceived hurt or transgression, and the apology is hopefully accepted. Uh, I also think about Jesus and Gandhi teaching us to turn the other cheek, and I think of those who are least deserving of forgiveness. How do we forgive them? I think of all the emotion involved around forgiveness, a sense of betrayal, heartbreak, anger, resentment, and hate, all wrapped up in a guilt sandwich. Margaret, forgiveness. When you hear the word forgiveness, what do you think of? I have often thought that forgiveness would be best redefined and given another word. I think there's a lot of uh, misunderstandings about forgiveness. I think for the word itself. It's a beautiful word. It does elicit compassion. There's no doubt about it. But there are many conflicts around forgiveness, and it can be a huge obstacle for many people. I myself have decided to uh, call forgiveness the way I see it, releasing forgiveness, and to qualify it a little bit, and to explain what my view of forgiveness is that way. Okay, and what is releasing forgiveness? Releasing forgiveness is, first of all, an act of self-love. It is uh, a process of releasing ourselves from bondage, which can be a long or short process, but basically we are liberating stuck energy that keeps us replaying our pain and our hurt. 
So in terms of forgiveness and releasing forgiveness, what we are really doing is releasing ourselves from this bondage. And in that process, we can essentially, eventually, possibly forgive the other. But that's not the focus. The focus is to be able to legitimize our feelings of pain and anger instead of running from or repressing or judging them. That's the first tenet of releasing forgiveness, is to work on forgiving ourselves and to legitimize our feelings. But the second most important part of what I call releasing forgiveness is to acknowledge very, very carefully that the behavior that harmed us is not acceptable or condonable. We do not have to make that okay by the intention to forgive. And that's what is keeps a lot of people stuck. Oh, I agree. And I want to get into that some more a little bit later because you're hitting on a very personal topic. It's something very close to me. First, let's talk about what are the health consequences of not forgiving? The health consequences of not forgiving are basically, you know, ranging for us from psychological to physical, and they can be numerous. I mean, it's been said that the inability to let go of resentment or to harbor feelings of of ill will and hatred can cause cancer. At the very least, it can put us in a lot of psychological pain and can cause, you know, addictive type of behaviors or pain in the body that is stored in the body in many different ways. There's numerous things associated with, unre- you know, with unresolved pain and the inability to forgive. Why is it easier for some of us not to forgive? It is easier because basically it's a survival as Susan Strasberg did point out in, in the Radical Forgiveness course, which I read, to forgive actually means to some of us uh, a kind of a death. It's a death of who, who we have been. And it's, it's, um, it's kind of like going against ourselves. And even Colin Tipping said that. He said it's a conflict of interests. We are either being in, intending to try to let go of something and release it. And at the same time, we have the need to condemn it. And we cannot live with conflict of needs. Therefore, the easier path is to not forgive. It's literally, it's kind of punitive the way I have seen it. I think it's an act of, of self-punishment to forgive somebody when you feel the pain and that something was unjustly done to you in the, in the traditional sense. So it's easier to survive and, and take care of ourselves. I think sometimes also we it becomes our identity. So our ego becomes wrapped up in the victimization or the role of victim or the role of martyr even sometimes so that our entire identity is wrapped around this idea and and to forgive and let that go, I, I think is a death because we have to become reborn as this entirely new person. And who will that person be? It's the fear of the unknown. Exactly, exactly. Uh, that is very true. That is very true. And I think that what happens to us, too, is that the pressure to forgive, a societal and ethical pressure, compounds a further lack of self-esteem when you feel, you know, the failure to forgive. Therefore, you have to, you know, rationalize your your stance. It's just a certain death. It's uh, like you say, it's an ego death. It's a fear. 
there's so many things tied up with forgiveness that, that are very difficult for people to sort out. Yes, most certainly. What are the benefits of forgiving? I think the benefits of forgiving are basically a self-healing. We can intend to release ourselves from this cycle of negative feelings once we realize the damage that they cause. Many times we get stuck in these cycle of turbulent feelings habitually and we even don't realize the amount of time we spend doing that. It is, you know, a very natural thing for any of us to replay, replay, replay the scenario. Oh, I should have said this. I could have done that. But the point is that we don't have to. A lot of that is simply repetitive thought that brings up these emotions that can be damaging to the body. And so it's, it's not a loving act to, or shall I say that to release ourselves from this cycle of, of emotions is an act of self-love. And that's the benefit of forgiveness. Wonderful. I want to talk about some of the different philosophies of forgiveness and sort of start from the traditional or most common view of forgiveness in society, in culture, how we've been indoctrinated to view forgiveness, a couple of the other philosophies that are currently popular, and uh, compare that then to your premise of forgiveness. The trouble with traditional forgiveness, the idea of let's just, okay, I know I'm supposed to forgive this transgression, so let bygones be bygones. Problem is, is that even though I say I've let go of this idea and I forgive this person, somewhere in the back of my mind is this seed that, oh, well, this person wronged me, so have I really let this go? I think that comes down to, again, realizing that the behavior is wrong. The behavior is unacceptable. They're not forgiving the behavior. To forget, to forgive and forget is basically to repress our feelings about what happened to us. And that is not helpful. What is helpful is to legitimize our feelings and work on self-forgiveness. That's really the way that we have to go. That's the first order of operation, so to speak. Out of that forgiveness of self, we might be able to eventually put the person who harmed us in a different light, but never the behavior. The behavior we have to acknowledge is never condonable. But there may be a point at which we have accepted the behavior did happen and move beyond that. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about radical forgiveness. This is a, an idea of a, uh, or a philosophy of forgiveness that's currently circulating quite widely. The idea of radical forgiveness, on its surface, I think there are some merits, but I personally find the concept rather simplistic and narrow, and perhaps I'm misunderstanding something, and perhaps that's a topic for another podcast, but I want to touch on a couple concepts because it kind of falls under the same mantra I've heard before with the concept of the law of attraction. Radical forgiveness, as I understand it, has the following basic premises. One, that seen from a spiritual perspective, nothing wrong has ever happened, so there's nothing to forgive. Two, that our higher selves attract others into our lives so we can play out the drama of separation for each other. Three, that the first step of radical forgiveness is taking responsibility for creating the situations we're experiencing by saying, look what I created when something is happening to us. The simplistic idea that we're drawing certain people or situations into our lives in order to see that we're all interconnected and connected to a single source is fine on the surface. For certain situations, I would even say that's true. But these three premises are at the very least offensive and ignorant. 
And at worst, they're damaging to actual victims of, say, a violent crime, for example. Uh, to me, these premises re-victimize an individual by indicating that the traumatic event he or she was forced to endure didn't really happen at all. It's all in your head. There's mm -hmm. nothing to forgive. Or worse, you're bringing this into your life because your higher self needs to learn a lesson or heal a core issue. I, I don't, I'm going to go somewhere where people don't like to go, but I don't think a child being raped by a pedophile is supposed to say, look what I created. I, I don't understand that philosophy. Yes, I, I agree that what is being stated by radical forgiveness is something that can only really be useful to the degree of the severity of of the crime. And certainly a child cannot be expected to have that kind of awareness that these principles embody. This would have to be the adult that the child became saying, oh, I must have needed to learn something and I have issues with oppression. Wow, <laughs> what a <laughs> lesson that was. Gee. <laughs> right. Um, so yes, it, it, it is a difficult concept to apply to the more severe crimes if someone was really working with them wanting to work with something a lot more minor it might be useful okay i would agree with that and i think that's why i you know as i stated i think on a more simplistic level it has some merit but i i think there are many things that happen to us in life over which you simply have no control especially children at the mercy of adults and i think recognizing and accepting that fact is radical and transformational. Yes, yes, I think so too. I think it's a call for everyone to see what they can use from radical forgiveness and whether it works for them. I see some similarities with what has been uh, brought up in that course that we have on forgiveness, which touches on radical forgiveness, with, with what I call releasing forgiveness, and that is that literally we cannot be whole until we are free of our emotions. And so in that sense, compassion becomes what we strive for. But it can only come out of compassion for ourselves. The focus has to be on forgiveness of self. And that's where I put most of my importance. And that makes sense. Let's talk a little bit about non-judgment versus judgment versus discernment. Okay. In some philosophies of forgiveness, there's this idea that you're supposed to be non-judgmental, that you're supposed to live and let live, that you're supposed to have this all-encompassing, unconditional love for everyone, and you're just supposed to, oh, you know, no judgment here, do what you need to do. I think that there has to be a balance between not judgment in the sense that I'm better than you, and therefore I judge you but judgment in the sense of discernment so that you don't put yourself in a dangerous situation or so that you don't stay in an abusive situation so that you can discern your situation and make wise, healthy decisions. Exactly, exactly. And that, that comes out of compassion for ourselves. Discernment comes from a positive emotion towards ourselves. And that is fundamentally different than having a negative judgment towards someone and yet still may affect the same results. So if we shift the focus from being other-directed and you know obsessing with the other towards what is it that is healthy and whole for us, we can actually act out of a much more healing and healthful frame of mind. And in that sense, we can even say, all is good, nothing is bad, which is, I think, where radical forgiveness wants to take us. But I think there's increments, in other words. I think that is a, an aspiration, a very high aspiration, 
And perhaps we'll get there, perhaps we won't. But in the meantime, we have to start somewhere. And that somewhere has to start with ourselves, taking ourselves into the ultimate compassionate consideration and accepting that we may have very strong feelings of, of anger and pain that, that cannot be um, stuffed away. In other words, the legitimization of our feelings. We judge ourselves more than we judge others sometimes and we don't <laughs> know it. So that's where it has to start. But out of that, can you actually affect similar results if you were stuck in judgment? It's just from a different framework, if you see what I mean. Yes, yes, absolutely. The, this next series of questions have been at the core of my personal struggle. My first conscious recollection of inappropriate adult behavior is age three. Subconsciously, there are buried memories of inappropriate behavior or abandonment issues from infancy. And the result of my wounded inner children are troubled interpersonal relationships currently, uh, attachment issues, trouble bonding abandonment issues, constant underlying sadness and anger. And I, I am able to forgive most of the quote-unquote responsible, what I sometimes call irresponsible adults related to these events, except for one in particular. And I'm having trouble with forgiveness because this particular individual has no remorse, no tears, no acceptance of responsibility. This person is... A sociopath, psychopath, as determined by the DSM-4, which is a psychological evaluation. And some philosophies of forgiveness propose that I'm supposed to make believe that this person is sorry and make believe that he didn't mean to do what he did. But the problem is I can't do that because he did know what he was doing repeatedly and he doesn't care. And I understand on a logical level that I need to forgive for my own sake to heal and move on. I'm just not there yet. and. I've experienced anger at governments, at God, at specific people, at myself, at my own shortcomings, other shortcomings. I've experienced anger at unjust, inhumane treatment of others, and I've experienced frustration at feeling impotent to protect myself and others. And I'm currently struggling with the signature energy of repressed anger, and I understand that forgiveness work should help me reprogram my thinking and heal my subconscious to no longer trigger inappropriate responses to current events. And I know I have a lot more work to do, uh, and mm -hmm. I'm determined not to give up. But it seems so overwhelming because it, it's almost as if I understand logically what I'm supposed to do, but I can't seem to emotionally get there. Well, I think the first thing we have to look at is... Uh, that can we acknowledge our judgment versus feeling pressured to release it? Because if we're acting out of, I should, I should, I should, this is not helpful to you. What we really are being told is that we're wrong for having these negative feelings. Yes. And I know this gets, you know, rather out of the box thinking. What happens if there is no wrong for having the negative feelings? And yet, what we are looking for is to be free deep inside of our own consuming anger and hate because we know it's not good for us. But at the same time, it's important to understand that there is nothing wrong with us for feeling these feelings. I think that's the basis at which we need to start. Being not there yet, as you put it, is perfectly fine. We can only be where we are. And what we have to do is to find our own paths with what helps us. 
what helps us take even a, a baby step towards being freer of the consuming anger if we are, you know, wanting to heal? Sometimes just fully feeling the feeling is necessary before any kind of healing can occur, and we do not allow ourselves or society does not allow us to fully feel the feelings and feel legitimate. There's always some guilt that we're wrong, we're, we should be better. You know, when are we going to get over it? And this is what I think is very damaging. You have already shifted some of my thinking in our conversation thus far. And this, this series of questions that I'm about to embark on, you've set the premise. The main overall umbrella question is, how do you forgive? I don't think there's a way that we can actually point out a formula that works for all. I really think that it becomes a very personal path of understanding when it is that we can naturally release, very naturally come to a place where we feel less pain and less anger than we did before because of something that we have done. And I believe this something is going to involve sitting very quietly and opening fully to our feelings and asking ourselves, how are we taking on any blame or any guilt for what happened? Because the situation that we expected to be different was not. There are so many aspects to, especially children, taking on feelings of diminishment and, and blame and guilt around abuse, that it's, it's a very, very sad truth. And it needs some counseling and some skilled therapy to begin to, into, you know, to disentangle these feelings that it was your fault, because that can be very buried subconsciously. So I think that, and that gets into a different kind of topic than just forgiveness. Now we're talking about counseling for serious abuse uh, issues. But this can happen if we feel abandoned by parents who are even too busy to take care of us, even if they didn't necessarily harm us physically. I know I, I have a lot of emotional abandonment issues based on just being left alone a lot and in the care of servants because I was raised in a foreign country. And I've often thought, well, I don't have anything to complain about. I have this supposedly rich girl childhood and that all the needs were taken care of. Why do I feel abandoned? And it's taken me years to really agree to look at how did that three and four year old feel? Well, I felt left alone. I felt on my own. I felt on the edge of danger many times with people I didn't know, strangers that were from another culture who really didn't care too much about me. You know, there was so many things that society wouldn't encourage me to look at that I've had to go in and look at. And this can, can only come through journaling and meditation and asking myself, okay, what does my inner child have to tell me? I have to listen. And I'm 62 and I'm finally getting the three-year-old to talk to me. <laughs> Better late than never, right? Right, exactly. Hey there, for you listeners of Transpersonal Radio. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recommend you check out Crush It! Why Now is the Time to Cash In on Your Passion by Gary Vaynerchuk or Mindset! The New Psychology of Success by Carol Dweck. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash transpersonalradio. 
Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash transpersonal radio for your free audiobook. How do you forgive someone who doesn't care or doesn't want to be forgiven? I was, you know, doing a lot of research on forgiveness, and I read in the Christian Bible, in Luke 17, 3, there's a passage that says, If your brother trespasses against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And to me, that pretty much what? says, if someone does wrong against you and they sincerely ask your forgiveness and apologize, then you should forgive them. But if they don't even bother to ask you, or they don't care, then you rebuke them. And I find that an interesting take because kind of goes against a lot of what societally we're taught, that we're just supposed to take and, you know, take and take and take and take and take and turn the other cheek. Um, and I don't think that's always the case. I think perhaps the closest we can get to a traditional biblical forgiveness that makes any sense is to realize that we, that there is nothing to be found in vengeance and continuing to perpetrate violence. This is not to say, though, that someone isn't brought to justice. I think that justice does exist, and what forgiveness ultimately, in a modern view, might embrace is that it may not be up to us to see how that person may be brought to justice. We can confront the person and remove ourselves, but many people hold on to the fact that that's not enough, more has to be done, make sure that guy's behind bars, etc., etc. I'm not saying there's, not, there's anything wrong with that. What I am saying is that if we become so other-directed, what we're doing is we're feeding the process of pain over and over and over again. In other words, we can do what is appropriate to do, bring law as necessary into it, and then we do have to trust that the law of karma will take care of that person in terms of higher justice. And in that sense, we re release ourselves from the entanglement, the continuation, because that's an invitation to just stay in negativity. So I think forgiveness is, could be defined as simply trusting, once you've done all you can do, that, that that person will have to be accountable for their actions at some point, whether or not they're able to in the moment. And in that sense, we can rest. Very well said. Now, this next two questions I'm going to kind of throw together in the same pile. And I think this goes back to your uh, comments earlier about not condoning the behavior. Forgiveness doesn't need to be inextricably linked to saying that, that the behavior is okay. But one of the biggest issues that I've dealt with over the years is, again, how you forgive someone who is a sociopath or a psychopath, as defined by the dsm 4 And, you know, how do you forgive serial killers, rapists, murderers? pedophiles, those truly without a conscience. Exactly. Well, the important thing is to acknowledge, once again, that forgiving the harmful behavior from these people towards ourselves is very self-punishing. That is not what is being called for in true forgiveness. We can never forgive the behavior. The behavior was tragic, is tragic, and continues to be tragic for many. And I think that when you acknowledge that with great sadness, that is a sort of a healing. Only in the sense that you are, well, you're not confusing the perpetrator with the behavior. Again, the behavior must stand on its own as something that is, is not right. However, the perpetrator may be someone who at a possible point in our lives might be viewed with 
an understanding that they are extremely flawed and wounded, as many, many people on this planet are. We are also flawed and wounded, but not to that degree. So in that sense, we can perhaps have a more compassionate understanding. And that may be the best we can do. And if we can't even get there, it's, it's important, once again, to acknowledge ourselves first and to know that it's, it's very self-punishing to attempt to forgive this behavior, that that is not correct. What we're being asked to do is to forgive the perpetrator of that behavior. And to the degree that we're able to view them in that way that I have said as simply a human being that was screwed up by being abused, most likely, that is forgiveness. If you can't get there, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So now the big one. How do you forgive yourself? Ah, (laughs) And that's a question that (laughs) is a big one, all right, because it's really very, very individual. I think that people are not aware of the extent to which they condemn themselves. It is difficult to help someone unless they begin to uncover that process of self-condemnation, where it started. It could have started very, very young in life because children believe what they're told. If we were told that we were bad or not good enough, we'll carry that. Depending upon our personalities, some people may be more resilient and be able to let go of that false core belief. Others may not. Others may do it sooner. Others may do it later. But to forgive ourselves for something we didn't do and to forgive ourselves for being bad when we didn't even know what in the world that came from or how to be, this, this is tough. Yes. <laughs> it takes a lot of self-compassion. And the first thing to do is to ask ourselves where we judge ourselves for our feelings. Where do we reject ourselves? To legitimize our feeling, our negative feelings, helps us to see, okay, I, you know, I have jealousy issues, I am aggressive, but where does this come from? And how am I defending? How is this a defensive kind of, of activity? And in that sense, you can begin to forgive yourself. You'll understand why you do what you do, and you ask, where did this come from? And was it really my fault? I had a friend once who was a minister. I used to love him because he was funny. He used humor a lot. So I remember one, one Sunday at our metaphysical chapel, he got up to speak, and he had a great big button on his lapel. And here he is. He's all set up to speak. And, of course, he's fussing around with his papers, and he's waiting for us all. And we all begin to giggle little by little. There's these giggles <laughs> in the audience. And mostly we were, it was a small congregation of, of women, but a couple of men. And so we loved having this guy because he, he was just a, he's a wonderful therapist, counselor. Finally, he looked at us and he says, so what, you don't like my button? Is that it? And we just all burst out laughing. Because <laughs> the button said, and he loved to wear it, I am not my fault. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's wonderful. I am not my fault. That's my new saying. So I think forgiving ourselves sort of has to be that basic. Where in the world did we get any ideas at any point in our lives that we did something wrong and why? It's basically shadow work and transforming personality. If you see how much time you spend in, in uh, with the UMS courses, digging into those constructs that we know we can say in, in our lives today. Well, I've got somebody here who calls herself, you know, the militant bitch. Well, who is she? How did she get? 
where did she come from? And then when you talk to her and listen to her, oh my God, you begin to understand why she was formed and when so long ago. Nobody was going to set boundaries for that poor child. She had to set them herself. And we can't judge ourselves for that. We can only give ourselves credit. And that's that's the process of self-forgiveness. The important differences of forgiving others versus forgiving yourself What I'm hearing you say is we need to stop being so other focused and we need to start becoming more inner focused and the whole idea of forgiveness can develop once we learn to forgive ourselves and become more compassionate toward ourselves that allows us to forgive and become more compassionate toward others. That's right. And it's a natural thing that will happen. In other words, you're not focusing on, okay, I got to forgive the other person. So I guess I'll start with myself and then, oh, am I forgiving the other person yet? (laughs) You know, we really can't do that. All we can do is say, it is okay if I cannot forgive this other person, number one, right now. In my process of self-forgiveness, I'm going to forgive myself for my failure to forgive. And that's a biggie. If you, if people, a lot of people finally go, oh my God, what a relief. Yes. Nobody ever gave me that permission. I was supposed to, you know, fill in the blank. So the intention to forgive is very well started by focusing on ourselves in it's an act of self-love. When people think of forgiveness, they immediately think they have to do something against themselves. That is true because after all, you've been hurt. So if you forgive the other person, that's a horrible burden to have to take on. Nobody likes it. But then you have all these rationalizations coming in. Oh, I should be mature. I'm supposed to be an adult, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) All those things are just nothing but BS. That, to me, is totally superfluous. We do not have to deal with that. We can accept that it is not easy to forgive, and we shouldn't have to if we're not ready. But we do want to free ourselves from the turbulent emotions. And so to forgive another by forgiving ourselves first. And this re- this requires a lot of understanding that we've taken on some blame and some guilt, especially with oppressors, with children. They make they enable children to feel very vulnerable and very much at cause for what happened. And this is very tragic. It's very tragic. But you must examine where you have these false beliefs and release them. Once we begin to do that kind of work, it will become more natural to feel less pain and hurt and more understanding and compassion towards the other. But that's not really the goal. The goal is to free ourselves. So that goes into an understanding of healthy forms of acceptance, not accepting anything and everything using discernment, but learning healthy forms of acceptance. Yes, and I think a healthy form of acceptance is to take the blinders off of the situation and really investigate that much happened around this where that we repressed, that we were forced to repress. After all, children need to carry on. They, they have a great deal of courage. They must continue to live and normalize the behavior of adults. It's crazy. It's it's tragic and it's crazy and at the very least it's it's inappropriate and unacceptable and it can be you know innocent in the sense that many people say well my parents were busy my parents were self centered they had to make the money uh, of course they couldn't pay any attention to me but if you listen to that what kind of rationalization is that right <laughs> you know and that's what we live with when we cannot accept what's outside of ourselves 
healthy acceptance is really the basis of it is to accept ourselves. And that that leads to freedom from unworthiness. That's what healthy acceptance is, is to, to, to see how what, what we don't accept outside of ourselves is linked to what we don't accept inside of ourselves. And that does lead to freedom from being unworthy, which, of course, we carry all our lives. That's our invitation, really, all throughout life, is to find out where we feel unworthy and continue to work with that. So to begin there and to begin to understand that we've normalized a lot that is not appropriate to do is an ultimate act of of self-compassion. And in that compassion, we begin to build a compassion for ourselves. That compassion is naturally extendable. Once we have compassion for ourselves, we normally and naturally have it for others. It's an incremental thing. But the Dalai Lama talks about forgetting the Chinese and look at what the Chinese did to his country. Yes. So you, there's there's an ultimate role model for us. How can we do that? What What is it with him? So reading some of his works might be fascinating because we see, or, or Gandhi, you know, these are huge role models for us. And we, we can't possibly get there from here in one week. Sure. There's a process, and I think the process is, is as long as we can give ourselves credit for being on the road towards that, we're doing something, and we're doing a lot, even if it's a baby step. What you just said is something that I've also been struggling with, is for some reason, this underlying feeling of not being worthy or not, you know, not living up to expectations. Yes, exactly, exactly. And Believe me, that is laid on us from the, when one and two, I think our original unwounded self is at age one. I think by age two, it's all over. <laughs> I think, you know, yeah, this is in a good family. This is, yes. in, this is even being raised well. I mean, if you're not and you have horrible things happen in infancy, I love my condolences. Yes. But I think that by age two, even the best parents have managed to lay upon us, and it's, it just must be the human condition, that we can, quote, you can't do that. Stop doing this. You are too that. I mean, that's that's all we hear. Because yes. we're being explorational and we want to explore and feel our power and feel our freedom. My God, we're beginning to walk and talk. The world is out there. And then what do we have? We have immediate repression of all that because we have to fit into a mold. And it's, it's, it's sad, but that's why we feel at core unworthy. And if it gets compounded by other childhood traumas, then just, you know, if you're doing as well as you are now, that's a huge, huge credit to your resilience and your beautiful spirit. Because anybody else would be, you know, let's face it, you know, gutter with a needle up their arm or something. I don't know. It's, it's true. And, and thank you, Margaret, for, for those kind words, because I have said that about myself, considering several things that I went through in my upbringing, uh, very well could have become a prostitute or a drug addict or dead by now or, or any of those horrible things. And so I like to think that hopefully I'm here for some higher purpose to help others. And, and that's why I have some semblance of quote unquote normalcy at some level. So uh, I hope... A, a tremendous amount of healing, Angela. That's the thing. You have really taken responsibility for your healing, doing what you do, signing up for UMS. All these are just testaments to your wonderful resilience. And if, if you don't mind my asking, you're not that old. Are you in your 20s or 30s? Oh, no, I'm 42. I'll be 43 in August. 
Oh, you look so young. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I feel younger now than when I was biologically younger. I'll say that. (laughs) Yeah. That's the joy of healing. And me too. Sometimes I feel very childlike and I look in the mirror and I go, I don't think I should, you know, again, the shooting. I don't think I should dress like that or act like that. Aren't I supposed to be some kind of, you know, crabby old lady or something? Let's hope not. (laughs) There are enough of those. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I want to talk about a couple different quotes and get your opinion on them. This was also some information I came across during my research on forgiveness. And these two particular quotes are by a man named Gordon Atkinson, who is also referred to as Real Life Preacher. The first quote is, Forgiveness does not always lead to a healed relationship. Some people are not capable of love, and it might be wise to let them go along with your anger. So let go of your anger when you let them go. You wish them well, and you let them go their way. What do you have to say about that? I would say that's very much in line with releasing forgiveness. And it to in, as an act of love, it is an act of love to remove ourselves from their presence as much as we can. With children, think about it. You can't leave your parents. But as adults, if you are in an abusive relationship, the best thing you can do is remove yourself. Yes. And his other quote that I really liked was, it really doesn't matter if the person who hurt you deserves to be forgiven. Forgiveness is a gift you give to yourself. You have things to do and you want to move on. Exactly. I totally concur with that. And it, is, it isn't really our job to know what the other person's fate is. Again, it goes along with that trust that that person will be dealt with in a just way. But it's not our life. We do not take responsibility, in other words. The only responsibility that we're asked to take is for ourselves. Let's talk about practicing forgiveness, because I don't think forgiveness is something, as you were mentioning, it's not something you just say, okay. My goal is forgiveness, step one, step two, step three, how am I doing, and now I'm done. I think this is actually a lifelong process. So practicing forgiveness, can you give us some helpful tips on what you do in your life to practice forgiveness? Well, first I acknowledge that I have a lot of pain and that I'm replaying this scenario over and over and over again. And am I really getting anywhere? Once I bring consciousness to that, I realize, oh boy, I've got a problem here. And how am I going to get over this? For me, it is not so much as I I would like restitution, yes, and I'd like an apology. But I, I begin to look at the feasibility of that. And if it seems to me that the person who hurt my feelings is not capable, what I try to do is look at it from their point of view. Are they, are they going to give me an apology? Just because I demand it? No. They, don't, they are very aware of their part in the issue. I, it's unrealistic for me to expect an apology. So I look at it that way and I realize, okay, this is what I have to work with. I have to work with my wounded feelings, replaying over and over and over again, and that person's inability to meet my needs. Essentially, they're just not there for me at all, especially since we polarized. How in the world do I expect that that person is really going to give me what I need? Because they can't. And what I need is validation that can only really come from me. It seems to people perhaps that self-validation doesn't count. You have to have validation from the other person for it to count. Oh, right. Yes. But is that really true? I realize now that I've gotten to the point where I can say, 
I'm not going to get it from the other person. Do I really need it? I'm, I'm needing validation. I might take it to my girlfriend. I certainly can get on the phone with one particular martyr person. <laughs> I know we do that for each other. You know, we take turns. Yes. And she'll ask me questions that will help me to validate myself. She'll say, what are your needs? What is it that the child in you really wants? You want it to be respected. You want it to be heard or listened to or considered your opinion considered. Is that what was going on in the argument? And she'll help me find, which I would do for her too, what are my needs? And once I can acknowledge my needs, there's a lot of tension that falls away because I become truthful with myself and I legitimize my needs. I go, that's true. My parents didn't like it when I blah, 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 or I never got reinforcement for blah, blah, blah. And it's still active today. This is just my path. This is what I need, I need or seem to need. And does that make me a bad person? No. So I work with it that way. I legitimize my feelings, but I do have to stop focusing on the other after the point that I say he is or she is not capable of giving me what I want. That sort of helps erase them from my radar screen as being someone who oppresses me that I have to do something about. (laughs) So that's my process, more or less. And it goes on from there. I may actually go to the point where, because it's a minor situation and I'm obviously not that traumatized by it, I might say, what role did that person play in helping me to love myself? Yes. Thank you. Okay. Gratitude for the role that that person plays. I guess I've forgiven them. Yes. (laughs) Oh, for me. Okay. And let it. I understand that you offer metaphysical counseling in different areas, including law of attraction and abundance, uh, inner child work and soul purpose and dream work. How do people get a hold of you if they'd like to speak with you about a counseling session? They're welcome to look me up online at margaretbranch.com. I've done a lot of dream work through email. I can also do phone sessions. All my information is there. I particularly like to work with dreams. That's a forte of mine that I've developed over the years as a, a method of, of becoming aware of your true feelings, you know, what, what the issues are, the underlying issues. So I encourage people to do that, to explore that avenue. And my phone number uh, will be on there. I can also give you an email address right here for them to email me directly if they'd like. That would be wonderful. Okay. And that email will be marbranch, M-A-R-B-R-A-N-C-H, marbranch at juno, J-U-N-O dot com. Wonderful. And I will make sure to put your website address and your email address on my website as well in relation to this podcast. And again, Margaret, I wanted to sincerely thank you for taking time to speak with me today about the topic of forgiveness and uh, share with me and our listeners your experience in this area. It has definitely helped me. Oh, good. Oh, good. I'm hoping that what I've said can bring at least a, a slightly different perspective, because that's what I'm interested in, is rewriting this whole thing and putting on new names. <laughs> yes, and I think it needs to be done. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Well, I'm glad it's been helpful, Angela, and I appreciate being on, being able to do this with you. This is very gratifying to me, and I, I enjoy discussing these kinds of topics, so feel free to call upon me again. Thank you so much, Margaret. Okay, take care. You too, thank you.
Thank you. Thank you for listening to Trans Transpersonal Radio. If you'd like to suggest a future future topic or be a guest, guest visit transpersonalradio.com. Call the hotline at 619-800-6057 or, or like our page, facebook.com slash transpersonalradio.